Thank you for that. That was, uh, that was beautiful. We should have you guys sing more often. Man, why didn't, we, why didn't we have you guys come sooner? All right. Amen. All right. So, question. Before I go into the question, though, I want to just go ahead and say a word of prayer because I'm going to segue into our, uh, our, um, our message tonight. So, I'm going to go ahead and pray and then uh, answer the question and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to worship together to, and to study your word. Lord, we ask that you would give us uh, wisdom, that you would give us understanding, and Lord, that you would just touch our hearts. Lord, speak to us and uh, speak through me. Give me uh, mental clarity and uh, uh, clarity in speech as well, and give the mental clarity to each person here to understand and discern uh, what the Spirit wants to say to each person. Lord, I pray that it would, we would all just uh, grow closer to you through the study of our message this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, something that I wanted to include, but I didn't have a chance to before, so I'm including it in this segment here. So there's about ten slides of this. I'll try to go through them um, not too fast, but uh, fast enough to get into our message tonight. Uh, because uh, this one, I think it's, it's very important, and it kind of helps to tie, tie it together and kind of see where we're coming from. Many of you have, have come night after night, and you've learned many new things along the way, but uh, you, you've pro and you, many of you have even asked me, how come other churches are not teaching these things? How is it that they have, have missed these important truths? You know, what you're showing is, is from the Bible. And so, you know, why is it that people in general or different churches in general interpret prophecy differently? Well, up until uh, 1500s or so, they all interpreted it one way, but it had, been, it had gotten lost because of the uh, going into the Dark Ages when the, uh, when the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church, when they kind of start, they started to uh, stamp out the truth, and, uh, and so things got lost. But uh, up until that time, the Bible writers were all uh, interpreted it a certain way, and so did uh, the, uh, the early church fathers as well, but uh, they didn't have some of the same, or all of the same stuff put together until, you know, down through the ages when they compiled the Bible. But uh, anyways, it, part of, during the Reformation, during the 1500s, there was uh, an exodus of the Roman Catholic Church because uh, there was only one way of interpreting things. And all of the Reformers agreed that the Roman Catholic Church was the Antichrist, the sea beast of Revelation 13 and the little horn power of Daniel 7. All of the reformers agreed. This is the only thing that they were unanimous on. That they, and so uh, there was, nobody wanted to be a part of a church that was the beast. So they were leaving. And because they were leaving, they were losing money. And so they said, we need to launch a counter-reformation to get people back. We need to find out an, other ways to, uh, to interpret prophecy so that way we're taken out of the hot seat and it puts somebody else in there, all right? And so there are four methods of interpreting prophecy. How many? Four, four right? So there's idealism, preterism, historicism, and futurism. And now idealism, by most scholars, is kind of just brushed off and is not really credible because idealism is more allegorical. It's, it's uh, kind of spiritualizing the text. Uh, so when they, say, they look at the, the prophecies in Revelation, and Daniel and everything is, is symbolic. Everything means something else. Whereas what we've taught here is that it's symbolic unless it's 
meant to be taken literal, and, and the, the text will indicate that. Okay, so they say, you know, Jesus doesn't actually come back. He just comes back in your heart. You know, there is no real hell, uh, because hell is, uh, is, you know, your bad circumstances here on earth. Okay, so they spiritualize everything away. Um, there are some churches that believe this way. You, uh, the Unity Church uh, tends, is a form of idealism, and, uh, and a couple others, not very many, but uh, there are a couple. And then uh, preterism, well, let me just uh, do this first here. So preterism and futurism were invented by the Roman Catholic Church by Jesuits. How many of you are familiar with that term Jesuit? You've heard that before. Okay, how many of you have not heard it before? Okay, it's new to you. Okay, so Jesuit is, um, let, me, let me just, this is their oath. I don't even really like to read it because it's, it's not good. But so you can get the context of it. Uh, here it is. This is the oath that a Jesuit Catholic priest takes. They, they are the Society of, uh, it's, Jesuit means Society of Jesus. They are to, uh, they serve the Pope directly. And now this is, this is the oath here. It's on a couple different slides, a couple slides. It didn't fit all on one. But it says, I promise and declare that I will, when the opportunity presents, make and wage relentless war secretly or openly against all heretics, pro Protestants and liberals, as I am directed to do, to ex extirpate and exterminate them from the face of the whole earth, and that I will spare neither age, sex, or condition, and that I will hang, waste, boil, flay, strangle and bury alive these infamous heretics, rip up the stomachs and wombs of their women, and crush their infants' heads against the walls in order to annihilate forever their, their ex, excrable race, that when the same cannot be done openly, I will secretly use the poisoned cup and strangulating cord, the steel of poniard, I don't know what that is, or the leaden, leaden bullet, regardless of the honor, rank, dignity, or authority of the person, persons, whatever may be their condition in life, either public or private, as I at that any time may be directed to do by any agent of the Pope or superior of the Brotherhood of the Holy Faith of the Society of Jesus. So that is their oath that they take, right? It's very evil, very satanic, meaning they're, they're going to do whatever they can to make sure that everybody that does not agree with the, the, the teachings of the Catholic Church, uh, to, they, that they're stamped out, that they're gone, they're, they're dead. If they have to be, if they're not persuaded, then they kill them. That's their, their oath that they all take, okay? So it was a Catholic Jesuit priest by Francisco Rivera. He was a Spanish Jesuit. He identified with the futurist eschatological view. Eschatological view is the end time, uh, end time events view. And now in the, in the Middle Ages, uh, in the, uh, so this, kind of, this came up during the Middle Ages. And now he, he, the futurist view is where you get the rapture from, uh, the two-stage rapture. Uh, it's where you get dispensationalism, that, that term, you know, that God works with people uh, throughout history differently. Uh, the church age, if you've heard that term being used, this is where this come from, comes from as well, uh, the futurist view. Also, the, the seven years of tribulation comes from this view here. Uh, and the Antichrist uh, is not the papacy. It's actually some man in the future who is very well, excuse me, very well known, um, very wealthy, he uh, built, rebuilds the temple of Jerusalem, 
right? That, you know, all of that stuff, it comes from the futurist view. All right? So, and it didn't exist until the Counter-Reformation was launched and they needed some way to take the Pope, uh, the Pope, the papacy out of the, the hot seat. And this view did that. This is what most uh, Protestant churches have adopted down through the years. I don't have time to get into all the history, but uh, there's a history of how it entered into the church. And, uh, and I can give you more information on that uh, privately if you want. Now, Louis de Alcazar was also a Spanish Jesuit. He wrote the commentary called Investigation of the Hidden Sense of the Apocalypse, which ran around 900 pages. And this was the start of preterism. Uh, there wasn't a picture of him, but there was a picture of the document there. And so it's the, uh, it's the eschatological view, or the end time events view, or method of interpret interpretation, that interprets the, the, the Bible, especially the books of Daniel and Revelation, as events that have already happened in the first century. Preterism academic scholars, they generally identify the first beast, the sea beast, uh, with the Roman Empire, not the uh, papal Rome, but, from, uh, but pagan Rome, particularly the, the emperor Nero in the first century that destroyed uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD. Okay, so that's who, they, that's who they say it was. Basically, everything in Revelation has already passed. And uh, some of them say, some of them will even go as far, far as saying, um, or, or sorry, won't go quite that far, but they'll say everything has happened except for Jesus coming. So, uh, so that's what that one is. And that one, so that one takes the, the papacy out of the hot seat as well. But, and then the, there's Christian historicism. Uh, this method of interpretation of Bible prophecies associates symbols with historical persons, nations, or events. And that's what we've been teaching here. Okay? Because that's, I believe there's evidence. I'm going to show you a couple texts uh, that I believe gives evidence that uh, the book of Revelation especially and the prophecies in, in Daniel and Revelation were meant to be interpreted through the historicist view. So... Uh, the, the disciples were historicists, Jesus was, the Bible writers, all the reformers were historicists. And uh, look at this. Uh, so you can see right there, during the Dark Ages in the middle, historicism between fi uh, 538 and 1798, preterism over on the, the far left there, uh, and then futurism over on the far right. Futurism says everything from Revelation chapter 3 onward is, uh, is in the future, and that we're waiting for the rebuilding of the temple to start Revelation chapter 4 and keep going, right? So, uh, so that's what that one says. And then, um, so Revelation, here, here's the evidence that I believe uh, we should interpret it through the historicist view. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, 4 and 8, it says, Grace to you and peace from him who is who, and who was and who is to come. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is come the Almighty. Okay, so there's just two places right there, two different texts, because the historicist view says everything uh, that, or that were rooted and grounded in history, right, past, and then tell the, the Bible and prophecy tells us where we are today by letting the Bible interpret itself, and, uh, and that's present, and then it also tells us what is to come in the future. Okay, so you see up there th two different texts, past, present, future. Here's two more texts in Revelation chapter 1. And uh, I don't need to read it, but it says, Who lives, was dead, and I am alive forevermore, have seen, which are, which will take place after this. So past, present, future. Future, futurism, everything future. Preterism, everything past. Historicism, past, present, and future. 
Historicism lets the Bible interpret itself, whereas these other ways uses, uh, you know, that just history, and uh, and then the other one, and then futurism uses basically the newspapers uh, to to interpret it. Okay, so is that a little helpful? Kind of gives a good overview. Now, when you leave today, I have a handout to give to you that will that go, that examines both or three, all three of these side by side in uh, some of the major things in Revelation that, uh, that you can take home with you. It's pretty accurate. You can find it uh, your, for yourself on uh, Christian Eschatology and Wikipedia. It's very accurate, it's very accurate though, uh, but we have a handout to give to you there. All right, I made it through. Now to get started. Amen? <laughs> All right, let me get a drink first. Hopefully I didn't go too fast where it went over your head. If you have questions about it, come and ask me. But it just kind of—it's just interesting how Jesu Catholic Jesuit came up with these two alternate views of prophecy, and yet there are many churches today that have in, have accepted these ways of interpreting prophecy, and they don't even realize where it came from, just because it's been passed down to them, and they don't even realize it. And what it's doing is it's causing people to actually come back to the Roman Catholic Church, even if they don't have to come in the doors with them uh, and worship with them. They agree on certain doctrines, not all of them, but on certain doctrines, uh, specific doctrines, and they're allowed to come back. And there are many churches that have, uh, have actually uh, done that. Uh, they still meet in their same buildings, still have their same name, but they've gotten back in bed with, uh, with the papacy. And uh, if you're interested in more about that, just come and talk to me. But today we're going to talk about Jesus on end time prophets and what the Bible has to say. And so when you look all out over the world, men and women are searching for certainty. They're looking for assurance. And there's an explosion of interest in physical phenomena today. People are seeking for outside answers uh, outside of themselves. Uh, and in, they search uh, has, has led them down a variety of pathways, and it's because people want answers, right? They, they want answers that uh, they're not able to find themselves. They want answers outside of themselves to make sense of things, and their lives become confused. Uh, they, uh, they're looking for some way to touch the divine. They're seeking for some way to experience the supernatural. And yet, here are some interesting words that G of warning that Jesus has against the counterfeit. Matthew 24, 24 says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. Alright, so uh, th the Bible says that there will be false Christs and false prophets that will show signs and wonders. And they will claim that they can give you supernatural answers, but the Bible says that they are false. They're what? False, false Christs and prophets. And Jesus goes on in his description and he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are wolves. They're ravenous wolves. And so they're, uh, they're disguised as spiritual leaders, in other words. But they are inside their ravenous wolves. And so uh, if there were false prophets... It says, beware of false prophets. So if there are false uh, prophets, then could that be because the true gift 
of prophecy is part of God's true church today. No one counterfeits something that doesn't have an original, right? Have you ever seen a counterfeit $3 bill? Anyone ever seen one of those? No, because there's no real one. Okay, but uh, I would guarantee you've probably seen a counterfeit $100 bill and you didn't know it because you didn't study the true. Uh, there's some statistics out there. I can't remember them. I used to know them at one time. But uh, the average person uh, handles so many counterfeit $100 bills um, a year but without even knowing it. And uh, that number must be pretty low because I don't know if I've seen a $100 bill all year. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but the point is, is that, you know, you can't have a, a, a counterfeit unless there is a true. Does that make sense? All right. And so this up here is important as it is, has been for all of our subjects. It's, it's important tonight as well. Let's read it together. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. it disagrees with the Bible. It's not for me. And so we, we don't want to be deceived. And when people put forward ideas that contradict the Bible, we know they are false. But if there are false prophets, then there also must be true prophets. And how do you know if they're true? Like we know anything else, by seeing what the Bible has to say about it. The only way you would know a $100 bill is false is if you know what the true looks like. The only way you're going to know if a, a teaching is false is if you know what the Bible has to say about it. Amen? All right, and so what does the Bible teach then about the genuine gift of prophecy? Could it be that the reason the devil counterfeits the prophetic gift is because God has a genuine? And does Scripture teach that there will be a manifestation of the genuine gift of prophecy in the last days of earth's history? Or does the Bible teach, as many claim, that the gift of prophecy ceased uh, at the, uh, the end of Bible times? Or should the church today expect the spiritual gifts would operate in the church? If so, then how can we tell uh, the genuine from Satan's counterfeits? Well, let's go to the Bible. Let's go directly to Ephesians 4, verse 8. It says, Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And so when Jesus ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave, what does the scripture say? Gifts unto men. That's right. Now, if he gives us gifts, I want those gifts, don't you? Anybody want those gifts? Me too. And so what were these spiritual gifts that only Christ could give? What, whatever the gift is, though, I want it. And Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us what these gifts are. Let's look at them. Let's look at what it says. It says Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And so here is a list of five specific gifts that he would give, that he would place in his church. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Now, some would be teachers. Uh, friends, do we need biblical teachers in the church today? Yes, we do. All right, and some would be pastors. Do we need uh, good pastors today to preach God's word faithfully? Yes, we do. All right, and so some would be apostles. That, it, that is divine administrators. Do churches today need divine administrators that believe God's word and are praying men of faith? Yes. Amen, they do. And uh, we, we need them, don't we? Yes. Indeed. All right, so what about the gift of evangelism?
evangelists, those that preach God's Word and, and see people come to Christ and understand His Word? Do we need uh, that gift in the church today? Yes. Amen. What about the gift of prophecy then? Is this gift uh, that God will restore in His church in the last days? If all of the others are yes, I would think this one would be yes too. But how long would these gifts remain in the church and what would they be for? Well, it tells us right here, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What does edifying mean? The building up, the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, so God would put spiritual gifts in His church, including the gift of prophecy. And He would bless His church with visions and dreams. This is what the Scripture tells us. And so Jesus gave these gifts to the church to strengthen it, to accomplish its mission of proclaiming the gospel to the world. The church needs all of these gifts to challenge the enemy head on. But how long would these gifts remain in the church? And or would they be taken away for a short period of time? The Bible tells us, continuing in verse 13 and 14, says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So spiritual gifts would be in the church to bring that church to spiritual maturity, to bring it to a full knowledge of Jesus until the day that Christ would come again. Why? So that as Jesus ascended in, uh, into heaven, he said to his earthly church, I'm going to give you gifts. I'm going to place my gifts in the church. And one of those gifts would be the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 1, 7. So that you come short. How many gifts? No gift. That's right. No gift eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us right here that the church waiting for the coming of Christ would come behind in no gift. And so if you and I are looking for truth, if we're looking for God's true people on earth, and if we're looking for God, uh, the body of Christ on earth, then we need to find a church that is eagerly anticipating the coming of Christ. Amen? Friends, it must be an Adventist church. Adventist church meaning uh, the Advent, looking forward to the, His soon Advent, His coming, a church that longs to see Jesus come soon. It must be a Bible-based church, grace-filled church that preaches the blood of Christ and the salvation only comes through grace. Amen? Amen. We need to find a church that leads to obe the obedience of God's commandments, which is a Sabbath-keeping church. But to that body, to that Bible-believing group of believers, we should expect and anticipate the gift of prophecy being restored. Because it doesn't have the gift of prophecy, it would become behind in a gift, right? So it must have the gift, that way it's not behind in any of the gifts. And the Bible says that the church is waiting for the coming of Jesus uh, should become behind in no gift. So we should anticipate that Jesus is going to give His last day church the gift of prophecy. Now, Jesus promised the gift of prophecy would be revived in the last days. Maybe it's 
that's the reason why today in our world we're seeing an explosion in the interest of astrology and of the occult. Because there are two great dangers. The first danger is to accept the counterfeit. Millions of people wanting a supernatural experience accept a false supernatural experience. <coughs> and the second danger is to be so skeptical that all the false manifestations uh, of all the false manifestations that we reject the genuine. And so it is possible to be so cautious that we become afraid of any church that claims it has the gift of prophecy. In fact, there is a question that we need to answer. And how can we tell the difference between the true and the false, right? That's the question on everybody's mind, right? If the gift is going to be there, then how do we tell the difference between what's true and what's false? Well, there is a way to detect the counterfeit gift of prophecy. And the Bible gives us six tests for the genuine gift of prophecy. How many? Six, six tests. And once you understand these biblical tests, you can spot a counterfeit a mile away. You guys ready for them? All right, we're going to get into them. So Numbers 12, 6, it says, Is there a prophet among you? I, the Lord, make myself known. If there is a prophet among you, sorry. Then I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. So God used two methods to communicate with these biblical prophets. An angel brings them a vision or a dream. And so while the prophet slept, God might send them, him or her a dream and they could, uh, they could see and hear a message from God. Or the prophet would be awake and would receive a vision. And then their second way is that God communicated with these biblical prophets. Uh, it, he impressed on their minds through his Holy Spirit. Look at what 2 Peter uh, 1.21 says. It says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so there's two ways. Uh, uh, a vision or dream, or sometimes God impresses the mind with the Holy Spirit, and the prophets begin to write out that impression. It's not a verbal dictation, right? It's not God talking as I'm talking, and then you, you know, writing the notes and saying, wait, Lord, can you just back up what you said right there so I can copy it down word for word? That's not how the Bible was, was written. The Bible was written by, uh, through inspiration, not through verbal uh, dictation. Does that make sense? Everybody clear on that? That's an important, that's an important thing to understand. So, but not all prophets were Bible writers. For example, Agabus is called a prophet in the book of Acts, but he didn't write a book of the Bible. John the Baptist was one of the most famous prophets in the New Testament, but there is no book in the Bible written by him. What's the difference between Bible writers and these other true prophets? Well, they're both inspired by God. The prophets whose writings were, are included in the Bible have a message that is eternal in time and universal in scope. For example, Nathan, when he, uh, when he came to... Uh, to David, Nathan the prophet, when he came to David to tell him about uh, how he had done wrong with Bathsheba, right? He spoke prophetically. He said, uh, you know, gave him a, a story and he said, now the, the judgment that you've cast here is, is your judgment, right? So that one didn't necessarily, need, he didn't need to put that all in a big thing for all of us to, to uh, as a message for all of us. That one was specifically for uh, for. 
David there. And so the true prophets whose writings are not included in the Bible have a message from God for the church at a particular period of time. And were there any woman prophets, though? Definitely there were. In the Old Testament, uh, there was Deborah. She was a prophetess. Huldah was a prophetess. In the New Testament, seven daughters of Philip were prophetesses. All right? And so throughout every major event in the history of the world, God has sent a prophet. Did you guys catch that? Throughout every major event in the world, God has sent a prophet. All right? When the Bible talks about a major event in there, God sent a prophet to, uh, uh, to tell him about that. All right, and sorry this is so small. I tried to blow it up as much as I could. Uh, but just, uh, I'm, I plan on giving you a copy of this to, uh, to take with you, okay? Because there's another one here to show a little bit more of it. But, um, all right, so there were proclaiming prophets and there were gathering prophets. Okay, so you have Enoch over here on the far left. Uh, if you sat far t in the back there and you can't see it, I'm sorry, you should have sat closer to the front today. All right, so <laughs> this, is, uh, this is for the ones who are sitting close here. Um, so the Enoch was a proclaiming prophet, proclaiming the flood. And then Noah was a gathering prophet, gathering God's people into the ark. Then you had Abraham was a proclaiming prophet, proclaiming about the captivity in Egypt. And Moses was a gathering prophet, gathering up God's people. Right? So you see there's a, a, a proclaiming and a gathering, a proclaiming and a gathering. Jeremiah, proclaiming prophet, about the seven years in captivity. And then you have Daniel, which was a gathering prophet. But Daniel served a, a dual role. He was not just a gathering prophet, he was a proclaiming prophet because he has all of the time prophecies that you can see uh, there. It, it keeps on going. And uh, so there's even more right there. And uh, remember, I'm going to give you the handout for this. But also, what's kind of interesting, in the top right corner there, it says the name of the prophet corresponds with his ministry. So this is kind of interesting stuff. And there are always uh, a remnant people, and then it is always life or death message, right? So number, uh, letter A there, it says the name, the name of the prophet corresponds with his ministry. For example, Enoch meant teacher and uh, dedicated, uh, and that's what they needed at that time. And then Noah was a comforter, so he, that's what they needed at that time. Abraham, the father, is exalted, and uh, Moses saved from the water. Okay, so it correspond with, corresponded with their uh, with ministry there. And there's more on another, on another third slide that I can, uh, can show you there. But um, I'll give you that handout later. So now let's get into the test, the six tests of a true prophet. How can we tell the true from the false? All right, here's the six texts that God gives from his word. First one, prophetic accuracy is what we're going to look at. When a prophet makes a prediction that is not conditional. Okay, let me say that again. When a prophet makes a prophecy that is not conditional or a prediction that's not conditional on, on the repentance of people, the true prophet is accurate 100% of the time. Jeremiah 20, not 20, verse 9. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Okay, so this is our first test here coming from God's word. So what does God say? He says, if the prophet's prediction is accurate, then you will know that they are a true prophet. But remember, there are some cases that are conditional. For example, Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. Remember, uh, Jonah was actually the greatest prophet because a whole city turned, right? 
And Jesus even said, you know, one greater than Jonah is here. Meaning Jonah was the greatest prophet uh, up until Jesus came along. And, uh, and so the conditional prophecy that Jonah gave was he was told to go and tell Nineveh that they were going to be destroyed. Now, he didn't say, if you go look through Jonah, he didn't say, you know, if you don't repent, God's going to destroy the city. He didn't say, God's going to destroy you if you don't repent. He never used the word if. He just said, God is going to destroy this city. God is going to destroy you. Okay? But, and so, we know that it didn't happen, but uh, it was not, or sorry, because it was a conditional prophecy. They repented, and, they, and so they were spared. God did not destroy the prophecy, but Jonah is still a true prophet. All right, does that make sense logically? Okay, all right, so if the prophet is not 100% accurate, let's say the prophet was only 50% accurate, does that mean that God was wrong half the time? No. So you see, false prophets can guess, but only God knows. False prophets can only guess, but God knows everything. And so God's true prophets are accurate because God does not confuse the message. God's true prophets are accurate, are, are not, are accurate not 60% of the time, not 30% of the time, not even 16% of the time, but all of the time, 100%. So the second test of the, uh, is biblical faithfulness. A true messenger from God will lead people back to, where can you guess? The Bible. That's right. That's right. So biblical prophets, uh, Bible prophets, they don't rise to tell people about a, a movie star and uh, what movie star is going to get married for the fifth time. Uh, they don't tell about how, uh, how to make lots of money. Uh, they don't tell about those things. That's not what it's for. It's to point people to the Bible. Okay, so look at this powerful message here, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4. It says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let's go out after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. And so this passage is extremely significant for what we're talking about. Most people think that if a prophet makes a prediction and the prediction comes to pass, then that prophet must be a spokesman for God. But this text says if the so-called prophet is not leading a person to the word of God, to be faithful to Scripture, then they are blatantly false. Run from them because they will deceive you. And there's an old saying that says, if you play with fire, you get... You've heard it before. All right. Good. All right. So a, a third one is it, the, uh, pr that the, a true prophet will exalt Jesus. And the genuine gift of prophecy they, uh, will always exalt Jesus. And let's look at this passage in Scripture here. And 1 John 4, 1 and 2. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but do what? That's right. Test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So God says, don't be gullible. 
Don't be blown by every wind of doctrine. Don't be gullible. God says, don't be deceived. God says, there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world, but by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. But the gift of prophecy leads people to Jesus. You see, the genuine gift of prophecy, according to the Bible, is found in Revelation 19.10, which says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. A genuine prophet of God always testifies of Jesus. John the Baptist testified of Jesus, and he said, He must increase, and I must decrease. A genuine gift of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, and a true prophet bears witness for Jesus and of Jesus. All right, number four is that the prophet will be commandment keeping. The prophets of the Bible, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they were raised up at times when men and women were breaking God's commandments. They called for obedience to God and His Word. They called for faithfulness. They called for a return to keeping God's commandments. And then we've seen this text before, Isaiah 8.20. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Okay, so it's important that you understand this point right here. If they speak not according to the law and to the testimony, it's because there is no light in them. And so, it, it's, if that so-called prophet is not leading you back to the commandments of God, if they don't lead to obedience, then they are considered false prophets. Alright? Look at the fifth test here. Fifth test is physical tests. So, this involves a physical phenomena associated with the gift of prophecy in the Bible. Three physical criteria uh, distinguish the genuine gift of prophecy. Prophets experience visions and dreams with their eyes open. Their eyes remain open throughout the vision. Numbers 24 verse 4, uh, you find that there. And uh, Daniel 10 verse 8, you see uh, in vision, prophets have no physical strength. Daniel 10 verse 17, prophets in vision do not breathe. And so when a prophet goes into vision, the, pro the physical characteristics of the vision are their eyes are open, the prophets don't have physical strength, and they don't breathe. So why doesn't a prophet breathe? Well, remember uh, that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God, right? In uh, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, or is it 1, 1 Timothy 3.16? Uh, so the word inspired, it means God-breathed. God is sustaining the life of the biblical prophet. All right, then the sixth test is the spiritual fruitage. So the gift of prophecy is given to God's church. God doesn't raise up a lone prophet here and then another one over there. God places the gift of prophecy in His church to bear spiritual fruit in the life of the believers and the life of the church. Building up of the body of, church, of Christ. Building up of the church of God. Look what Matthew 7.20 says. It says, Therefore by their fruits you will know them. So if God has a church on earth today, and if God raises up a Christ-centered, cross 
preaching, grace-filled, Bible-believing, Sabbath-observing, Seventh-day Adventist people, if God does that, would He restore that prophetic, to that prophetic group, uh, to that, sorry, that group, prophetic visions and dreams? Well, not to take the place of the Bible, but to get His people through the last days. Prophetic visions and dreams that are accurate. Prophetic visions and dreams that take people back to the Bible. Prophetic visions and dreams that exalt Jesus. Prophetic visions and dreams that make, or sorry, that meet the criteria of the physical tests and have spiritual fruitage. Okay, so let's look at what, uh, what God says about His last day church in Revelation, uh, uh, in His end time message here. Revelation 12, 17, it says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So this, this verse is part of a brief history of the church from before Christ's time to the end of time. Chapter 12, it predicts that the church would be persecuted during a 1260-year period. We've talked about this a couple different nights. And that it would flourish again at the end of time. <clears throat> and at the end, and, or sorry, and then in verse 17... Uh, he identifies two characteristics of God's last day people, that they keep His commandments and that they have the testimony of Jesus. And so John tells us very plainly uh, that Revelation 19 says for the spirit, or sorry, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So God's last day people, God's last divine movement on earth, God's Bible-believing, Christ-centered, Sabbath-keeping people must have the gift of prophecy. Does that make sense logically to you? Alright, so the gift of prophecy is placed in the church. In fact, look at what, what 1 Corinthians uh, says, chapter 12, verse 28. It says, And God was appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Okay, so if we believe that, he, that we have found God's church, it must have the biblical gift of prophecy. If it did not, it could not possibly be the true church because God predicts that the true church will have it. The Bible teaches that Jesus himself would bless his last day church with the gift of prophecy. Now God does have a Christ-centered, Bible-based, Sabbath-keeping Adventist church on earth today. But now here is the question. Has God blessed the Seventh-day Adventist church with the gift of prophecy? If he has not, then we need to keep looking for the bride of Christ in Revelation chapter 12. But the church, it says the church would come behind in no gift. Faithful to his word, God himself placed the gift of prophecy in his last day Sabbath-keeping Adventist church. And God took a woman, the weakest of the weak, the only third, with only a third grade education, that's right, a third grade education, and blessed her with prophetic visions and dreams. This young woman was very sickly, but her mind and heart were open to God. Seventh-day Adventists believe that God gave her the gift of prophecy, and her name was Ellen Gould White. And I'm going to show you this other, uh, this other one here. Uh, so, I showed you that one already. I guess there's the timeline down there at the bottom. I meant to show you the thing up at the top. But it, what's interesting is that Ellen Gould White... Uh, the, her name it's, is interesting because Ellen means uh, light or to see, okay, and then um, 
you know, just like in, sorry, let me give you some context. So in Revelation chapter 3, the, the last church, the Laodicean church, God says that uh, the last church would uh, not be hot or cold, but that they should buy gold refined in the fire, and they need eye salve to see and to put on white raiment, okay? You know, white robe of righteousness, which is Christ's righteousness, okay? And so what's interesting is her, her name uh, means... Uh, Ellen means uh, eyes to see, gold is, uh, means gold, and then white for white raiment. So that one detail alone is not enough to carry the weight of evidence, but the rest of it will. That's just something added, an added uh, thing there, which is kind of interesting. Okay, uh, But she was a gathering prophet, you see there. She was a gathering prophet. All right, And she received more than 2,000 prophetic visions and dreams. She wrote over 50 books. She lectured to thousands on three continents, and the last years of Ellen's, Ellen White's life were spent in California when George Hort, uh, Wharton James was writing the history of California in his book, uh, the, the California, the Romantic and, and Beautiful. Uh, he commented that on this simple, humble, and godly spiritual woman on page 319. Uh, he, now, James Wharton James George Wharton James was a historian, and he was not a Seventh-day Adventist, but he said this, This remarkable woman, though almost entirely self-educated, has written and published more books in more languages which circulate the greater extent, to the greater extent than any other woman in history. So quite remarkable for a woman who was sick in her early years. Quite amazing for a woman who had only a third-grade education. There are many people who have questions about the gift of prophecy. Does the gift of prophecy or the prophetic gift, does it replace the Bible? For example, do Seventh-day Adventists accept the writings of White on par with the Bible? Seventh-day Adventists believe in the Bible and in the Bible only as the source of every doctrine. Every teaching of the Adventist church comes directly from the Bible. You've come night after night. You haven't heard us present anything that, uh, that, uh, does n that disagrees with Scripture. And uh, everything has come directly from the Bible. Amen? Okay, so none of the doctrines that we have, have shown you have come from her. They come directly from the Bible. And a matter of fact, she didn't even uh, come up with any of the doctrines that we've taught. Uh, they've all come from men and women who have studied the Bible. Once they, uh, they, then they accepted it. Uh, it was... Uh, agreed upon by the group, and then they, they moved forward from there. And so even when the prophetic message might be a rebuke for some of us, uh, uh, for some cherished sin, we always go, uh, it always points us to the Bible. The only thing and honest that we can really do, though, uh, before we, dismissing someone who claims to have the gift of prophecy, is to examine the individual's claims, right? So we must apply these prophetic tests that we just learned, these six tests, to Ellen White and her ministry. And so if this person meets the biblical test of a messenger from the Lord, then we should accept them as a genuine voice from God. And if they don't, then we ought to rule them out, right? Everything we read should, come from, should be compared to the Bible, right? How many of you have read other Christian authors? Anybody ever? Okay. So should we not compare those to the Scripture as well? That's, that's right. And so the Seventh-day Adventist Church holds the position that everything you read should be compared to the Bible, including her writings. 
And if something does not agree, throw it out. I have not found anything that doesn't agree whenever I read her because she's always pointing me back to the Bible. And so, but how does she line up to these six tests? Well, what about the prophetic accuracy? Uh, where, what are areas, what areas did Ellen White uh, write in and are those areas accurate? Well, one of those subjects that she wrote often about was on health. Back in the 1800s when she lived and wrote, people had no idea that sugar and fat contributed to coronary heart disease. And Ellen White wrote of a diet of whole grains and fruits and nuts, vegetables, the very diet that the American Heart Association has now recommended. This diet is also an anti-cancer diet. Scientific researchers have concluded a diet rich in fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables that helps prevent cancer. Matter of fact, Clive uh, McKay of Cornell University uh, said that this woman is 100 years ahead of her time in the area of diet. Back in the 1800s, uh, Ellen White wrote on the Ministry of Healing, and, uh, and she's the... Uh, she said that um, tobacco is a slow, insidious, and most malignant poison. And th this was contrary to the medical advice at that time because uh, when she wrote this, doctors were recommending cigars to their patients. They were, those also, uh, they were also, uh, they also believed that inhaling tobacco smoke would cleanse the lungs. And she said that it was... A, an insidious uh, poison. <laughs> so, uh, so she was far ahead of her time there. Uh, today we know that smoking causes cancer and a host of other diseases. No researcher today would argue with Ellen White on that point. <clears throat> this is uh, something else that she said. She said, in a short time it will not be safe to use anything that comes from the animal creation. Well that's quite interesting. <clears throat> what does modern researchers say? Uh, here's uh, Dr. T. Colin Campbell. He wrote The China Study. Uh, the China Study was a, uh, a, a book based on a study that covered 20, over 20 years uh, in China where they monitored the health of the people in China who were introduced to the Western high-fat, high-sugar, high-processed foods diet that affects uh, poorly on the health and negatively on the health. And so he said in an interview, uh, in uh, 2000, February 24, 2005, he said this, I am not aware of anyone who was more on point than Ellen White. Given her background, she is truly an amazing woman. I am convinced that almost 100% of her statements are now substantially supported by the scientific evidence that has been developed during the past two to three decades. What I have come to realize to even deeply worry about is why it is that this message of Ellen White and others has been so mislaid on shelves out of sight. It is abundantly clear to me that now is the time to bring this forward in whatever way that each of us are able to do. And so he's saying we need to look at the health uh, recommendations that she writes about and we need to follow those things to help us become healthier. And I can tell you that uh, when I uh, went to that uh, I told you a, a couple weeks ago that when I went to the health retreat, I followed the things that she recommended. That's how I lost uh, 16 pounds and my cholesterol went down uh, 16 points and uh, etc. So, uh, so it, it works. <laughs> Amen. All right. So what about the what about biblical faithfulness? Then what did Ellen White say herself? 
If you want to go evaluate somebody's writings, you go to their writings. You don't go to what someone said that they said. Uh, you don't go to a, some web page that, uh, of their critics uh, who have uh, prejudged them without looking and examining all of the evidence. I can tell you this is, this is true. A, a, a testimony from that is, you know, when, when I uh, came across some, some of these websites, as I was you know, doing some research from other stuff, I came across these websites. I wasn't prepared for it. And they started saying, well, she says this and she says that. And I was like, man, why would she say that? Man, that didn't even, that's not even biblically accurate. You know? And so I started to get discouraged and stuff. I said, man, I, I was new in the faith. And, uh, and so I, I, uh, what I did is I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to do my own research. I'm going to look at what they had to say about her. And then I'm going to uh, look it up in her, on her own website. I'm going to you know, compare them. Now, I found that they would twist words around to make her say something she didn't say. I found that they took things out of context. Okay, so that they, in other words, uh, they would only share a, a portion of that and, uh, and then they would, they would refute it and say, well, that's not what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. Well, she was only saying a small part of that, but if you would read the context, that's actually what she was saying. Okay, so, so th that's some of, the, some of the things I found. Some other things I found were, uh, like she says, um, you know, she says not to wear wigs, you know, that we should not wear wigs. Nobody should wear wigs. And you say, well, why not? What about cancer patients? That's not very nice or very fair. Doesn't sound very godly of someone to deny that. And you, but you have to understand the, the, the history behind that and why she said that. Because back then, the way wigs were made, they had little bugs that were in the hair. And the, those little bugs would crawl into people's scalp and would cause uh, more problems in their scalp. And so that's why she said, don't wear wigs, okay? She also said, don't ride bikes. So I said, well, well, that's not very, that's not cool. I mean, why would she say that? I mean, you know, so, uh, and then I started looking at uh, some of the, the history there and, and I found out that the reason why she said that is because bikes cost about as much as a car today. <laughs> not today, but, uh, you know, as, basically, if, if we were to buy a, car, uh, a bike equivalent to the price of back then, is it would cost us as much as we buy a car today. Does that make sense? So she said Christian stewards should not be spending their money on buying bikes that are so expensive that they cost as much as a car. Uh, they should be spending their money in other ways uh, and be more wise with their finances. Okay, so, so these are some of the things. You have to look at, look at those things in context. And, uh, and so uh, it, it's very, don't, don't go to these, the, what these critics say. Uh, I even found a, a little book that uh, somebody came, gave to me. And they said, um, uh, they, you know, this book was written by a former Seventh-day Adventist. He was a principal of a school, for, of an Adventist school for many years, uh, a member in the church. And they said, and so I read this little book, and he was saying some of the th same things were in the website. He was also saying some things doctrinally that she says that uh, it disagrees with the Bible. And, I, and as I was reading through it, I said, uh, I, I was like, well, we don't teach that. We don't believe that. And she didn't say that. <laughs> And I, you know, I would look it up. No, nope, she didn't say that either. So you have to be careful because even though you, think, you would think because he comes from a Seventh-day Adventist church, he would know, but he didn't for some reason because we didn't teach those things that he was saying that we teach. All right, so you, you have to be careful and you have to go, uh, you, you have to do your research. Don't just take somebody else's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Do your own research, okay? All right, and so uh, <clears throat> look what she wrote here in Great Controversy. 
It says, in our time there is a widespread departure from their doctrines and precepts, and there is need in of, there is need of a return to the great Protestant principle, the Bible, and the Bible only as the rule of faith and duty. Friends, can you agree with that statement today? Amen. Amen. So we need to return back to the Bible. The true gift of prophecy, it leads people back to the Bible. Seventh Adventists do not believe that Ellen White, Ellen White's writings in any way take place of the Bible. Okay? You guys got that? We don't believe that her writings take place of the Bible. Uh, they, don't, they do not believe that her writings are another Bible either. Uh, there are some denominations who, uh, who, have, um, who, who will say that the writings of their prophet are actually a, new test, a newer testament. That's not the case uh, with us. It's the Bible and the Bible only. She points us back to the Bible. And, uh, all right, and so the true gift of prophecy, it exalts Jesus Christ. Uh, what about Ellen, White's, uh, Ellen White and uh, did she exalt Jesus Christ? Let's see what she has to say here for herself in a book called Gospel Workers, page 160. All right, so it says, Lift up Jesus, you that teach the people. Lift him up in sermon, in song, in prayer. Let all your powers be directed to pointing souls, confused, bewildered, lost to the Lamb of God. Amen? Amen. And so when Ellen White's writings are filled with the emphasis of Jesus, she points out again and again that we're saved by grace through Christ. She wrote The Desire of Ages uh, on the life of Christ. Uh, she wrote Christ's Object Lessons on the parables of Christ, Thoughts of the Mount of Blessing on the teachings of Christ on the Mount, uh, Steps to Christ, and, uh, and How to Know Jesus for Yourself. And what's interesting is the book, uh, the book Desire of Ages there was, uh, was actually written, or uh, the librarian from the Library of Congress uh, years ago actually said that this book is the best book ever written on the life of Christ. Amen? So if you've read it, then you know that's the, that's the case. It's just a beautiful book. And, uh, and so somebody said that the proof is in the pudding, uh, and, or that the proof of the pudding is in the eating. So rather than read the critics, go to the book, Desire of Ages, and prayerfully read it uh, and see if the Spirit speaks to your heart. Okay? Compare, compare it to the Bible. All right? That's all that we ask. Just compare it to the Bible and, and, uh, and see if you're not blessed by it. But her writings... Uh, exalt Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so that leads us to the fourth test of a true prophet. A, a time of rebellion, at a time of rebellion, sorry, the biblical prophets led people back to commandment keeping and the prophets did not manufacture something that was not in the Bible. They did not contradict the prophets that, who had gone before them either. So Ellen White leads people back to obedience to God. She exalts the law of God and points out the significance of the seventh day Sabbath. She urges people to study their Bible for themselves and to study it and to study it more and to keep studying it. She, she urges this over and over again. And so as Jesus did, she, she says that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. The modern day gift of prophecy meets the test of accuracy. It meets the test of biblical faithfulness it exalts Jesus, and it leads people to keeping God's commandments. But what about the physical tests? Okay, so one of the physical tests of the prophet was that they would not breathe in vision. Dr. Drummond 
was a skeptic in her time. He said, I cannot accept visions and dreams from any woman. I reject them, he said. I, he said, I know uh, that uh, based on Daniel the 10th chapter, you are not supposed to breathe in vision. He said, I will examine her myself. And you can read on the, the medical account of Dr. Drummond when he examined Ellen White in vision. He said, she does not breathe. This is an unusual phenomenon. And she would be in vision for hours sometimes and did not breathe. They would hold you know, a mirror up to her, uh, or, a, or a, sorry, a, a candle up to her, her face there, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't flutter. So uh, Dr. Drummond himself became a believer in God's work through visions and dreams. And during her visions, she didn't breathe and her eyes were opened. And so one interesting story is that she would, she, there was one time where she held up an 18-pound Bible. Yep, it was pretty heavy. It was, it was a big one. And uh, anyway, she held it up like this, and she would point to the Scripture as she was saying it. But she couldn't see it. But she was pointing it. Somebody stood on a chair to see if she was pointing, what she was pointing to, and she was pointing word for word as it would come out of her mouth. And so it's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, what about spiritual fruitage? What is the spiritual fruitage, and would the church need the gift of prophecy today? Well, Ellen White wrote a book called Education, and in it she said that Seventh-day Adventist Bible-believing Christians should establish schools around the world so that Adventist people could be educated, sorry, Adventist young people could be educated to bring the gospel to the world. And so what is spiritual fruitage? The largest Protestant educational system in the world. Over one mil million students attend. Uh, it's thousands of schools around the world. Over 13 million outpatient visits and 785 hospitals, clinics, nursing homes, dispensaries, children's facilities, airplane and medical launches operated by the church each year. Matter of fact, when the president goes into another country, they often, he often tries to stay somewhere near the the hospital, he wants to be treated in an Adventist hospital when he goes to other countries. Um, and so what is the fruitage of the writings of the gift of prophecy? There are hospitals around the world, schools all around the world to give Christian education. And uh, Ellen White's writings, they do not deal with bizarre events or wild-eyed fanaticism. They have changed the world for the better. These are visions and dreams to guide God's people so that church the church can move forward around the world and Seventh-day Adventists today have a modern mission movement that spans the globe. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? Anybody remember uh, Paul Harvey? All right, Paul Harvey was a conservative American radio broadcaster for ABC Radio Networks and uh, from 1952 to 2008 uh, he, his programs reached as many as 24 million people per week. That's right, 24 million people Week. He was elected National Association of Broadcasters National Radio Hall of Fame and the Oklahoma Hall of Fame and, uh, and was all in the Gallup poll list of America's most admired men. In 2005, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of, Honor, Medal of Freedom, sorry, the United States' most prestigious civilian award by George, President George W. Bush. This is what George W. Bush had to say at that time. He says, he first went on the air in 1933, and he's been heard worldwide for 54 years. America's, Americans like the sound of his voice. Over the decades, we have come to recognize that, 
uh, in that voice some of the finest qualities of our country, patriotism, the good humor, the kindness, and common sense of Americans. And so why am I telling you about Paul Harvey? Well, on September of 25, 1997, Paul Harvey announced on his nationally syndicated program this. He says, women have, honored, have been honored on American postage stamps for more than 100 years, starting with one woman who was not an American, Queen Isabella, in 1893. Since then, 86 women have been honored, ranging from Martha Washington to Marilyn Monroe. Also, many women authors, like Louisa May Alcott, Emily Dixon, Dickinson, Willa Kath, and Rachel Carson. But I can name an American woman author who has never been honored thus, through, though her, her writings have been translated into 148 languages. More than, more than Agatha Christie, more than William Shakespeare, only now is the world coming to appreciate her recommended prescription for optimum spiritual and physical health. Who was it? He said, Ellen White. You don't know her, get to know her. And so do your own research, all right? And uh, as we, we wind down here, this is uh, something interesting here. Look at all of the movements that started around, this, around the same time period there in the 19th century. So you have the, uh, the Mormon or the Latter-day Saints church uh, around in 1830. With, they had a prophet, Joseph Smith, and they uh, had obedience to... Uh, to him or, or to his, his writings there. Then you had a Pentecostal or holiness movement in the 1830s that began. Uh, they, have, they also have prophets and uh, obedience is to the spirit. The Communist Manifesto in 1848 uh, with Karl Marx, Origin of the Species, uh, 1859 with Charles Darwin, Seventh-day Adventists, 1863, Ellen White and obedience to God's word. Then you have Jehovah's Witness in the 1870s. They have Watchtower, and their prophet. Uh, it, watch, sorry, Watchtower is their prophet, and o obedience to Watchtower. Uh, then you have Christian Science. You have with Mary Baker Eddy as their prophet, and obedience to her. Now Christian Science it teaches that Jesus is not God, and so and that the incarnation and the bodily resurrection of Jesus did not occur. Now if there is supposed to be a, a if all of these counterfeits came up. All of these, if all of these counterfeits came up, uh, there must be a true, right? And so if there must be a true, which one of these would be the most likely to be true? It's a rhetorical question, but uh, I believe it's the Seventh-day Adventist Church because all of these other ones uh, and all of these other ones are the counterfeits. But uh, there was a, um, there was a, a doctor uh, in Mexico who, uh, she said that uh, a... Catholic uh, priest or a bishop uh, came to her and said that he uh, he had cancer and wanted to know if, if uh, he would she would treat him because she knew that uh, this Adventist doctor had uh, special insight on health and and uh, from the teachings of, of Ellen White um, of course he didn't say that at the time but he said you know they knew that Adventists had a special health message and uh, wanted to know if she would treat him to help him with his cancer and so she said well I'll treat him only on one condition is that He'll allow me to, you'll allow me to come and teach you where these teachings came from and uh, when, once you're, you're all healed. And so she said, okay, uh, that's fine. And so you know, she, she started treating him. Several months went by and uh, the cancer started to go away. Finally, the, the cancer is gone. And, uh, and she showed up at his door and she said, I'm here to give you uh, studies about 
uh, Ellen White and the spirit of prophecy and what she says about health and where these teachings came from uh, and from the Bible. And so he said, uh, he said, okay, you know, so he takes her, he said, Come, follow me. And so he takes her into his library and in his library, he shows her all of the books that Ellen White had ever written. And she says, well, wh what, have you read these? You know, what, how do you know about her? He says, well, he said, I'm a Jesuit <clears throat> and it's my job to read everything that's out there and, and to read all of these books. And he says, and let me tell you this, that all of the Jesuits agree that Ellen White is the only true prophet that exists uh, in the world today, in any Christian church. And he said, and he said, and we don't, he said that, and that's why we, she, she's so accurate and she's, and she's true that we don't want her, read, anybody else reading her because it tells what our plans are before we do them. And so this, this is coming from him and she was just kind of, she was quite amazed at that. Uh, then there was, there's another story here. There's a, a, a Jewish man he, who hated Christians. He hated Christians because in, when he, uh, he was a little boy in Israel, his, uh, he witnessed two uh, Christian missionaries rape his mother. And, uh, and so he hated Christians uh, because of that for, the, for his whole life. Well, he, he became an adult and he moved to the United States. He moved to California and uh, Northern California and uh, a little town called Weimar. He lived up in that area. And, uh, and he's, he would go to a, a restaurant up there. And uh, it was an Adventist-owned restaurant. And he became friends with some Seventh-day Adventists who owned the restaurant. And, uh, and so as they began to visit together, they, he realized that these were actually very nice and friendly people. And uh, they gave him a copy of the book, Patriarchs and Prophets. And so he, he went and read it. You know, they told him it was about Jewish history, so he was kind of curious. And he went and read it, and he said, uh, he came back after, after he'd read it, and he said, uh, who taught this woman uh, Hebrew? And she's, they said, well, nobody did. She only had a third grade education. He said, she writes in, a, in you know, the Hebrew uh, style of writing. And, uh, and he said, and, and how did she learn this history when you know, she wrote this back in the late 1800s? How did she know the, all of this history, all of the Jewish history didn't come out until 1949? Who told her the history? He said, well, God did. And he says, now I know this woman is, is a, a, a true prophet because she couldn't have known those things that she knew because we, we didn't share those with anyone until 1949. And so he became a Seventh Adventist at that time. Now, when Ellen White died in July of 1915, Three funerals and, and a graveside service memorialized her life of ministry. An estimated 5,400 people attended these services. And when she died, she had family and friends all around her bed singing hymns together when she finally passed. Now, you consider that compared to Joseph Smith, uh, the, who was the so-called uh, prophet of uh, the, the Mormon church uh, and founder of the Mormon church. He died in a gunfight, a standoff with the police. She died with people singing Christian songs around her. But a man by the name of Dudley Canwright, and he was Ellen White's biggest critic in her day, and he disagreed with her on many things. But uh, he's, he was, his brother actually said, uh, said this uh, about Dudley Canwright. 
Dudley Kenrath brother said, we joined the passing throng and again stood by the bier. My brother rested his hand upon the side of the casket and with tears rolling down his cheeks, he said brokenly, there is a, there is a noble Christian woman. And so even though he disagreed with her, he recognized her as a godly Christian woman. Amen. And so you, with the evidence that's presented, she was either from God or she, or she was from the devil. And you have to examine that for yourself by comparing what she's written to the scriptures. Okay. Many years ago, there was a young man in Africa. It's our last, uh, last story here. But uh, by the name of uh, Sekuba. And uh, this is a well-documented story, by the way. But uh, he went to bed one night and he said, A God, oh, oh big God of the stars, oh big God, I feel empty in my heart. Oh big God, take me to a place where I can learn your truth. And that night in 1953, an angel descended from heaven and visited the hut and said, Follow me. Sakuba began to walk. He traveled through the African grasslands and desert. The angel told Sakuba he, that he would guide him to the people of the book. Sakuba responded, I cannot read a book. The angel replied, you will be taught how to read. You will know they are the people of the book because they will have a black book. But they will also have four books that are really nine. Sakuba continued walking. He uh, he walked on. He walked at night for two weeks, and he came to the edge of the jungles and found a Christian mission that had they had a big uh, sorry they had a black book, but not the not the four that were really nine. So the angel told him to find Pastor Moyo, and uh, and the Sabbath keeping people. Sakuba continued to walk. He walked through the fields, through the jungle, and uh, he came to a little Seventh Day Adventist mission. And he said, "Is Pastor Moyo here?" Moyo here. Pastor Moyo came out and he said, uh, is Pastor Moyo here? Uh, and, or, sorry, and, and Sakuba said, I have been guided by God to you. My whole tribe does, know, does not know anything about the big Papa God of heaven. Nothing about him. Uh, he says, I've been led to you. Do you have the book? Pastor Moyo went and got his well-worn Bible and Sakuba said, that is the book I saw in vision. Do you believe this book? Pastor Moyo said, We believe in Christ, the Christ of this book, and the commandments of this book, and the Sabbath of this book. Sakuba said, Where are the four books that are really nine? Pastor Moyo said, Oh, I have those books too. You see, Ellen White wrote nine volumes to the church of, of God's power to change lives. These were testimonies of... Uh, of counsel on Christian living and godliness. They were bound in four volumes. And Pastor Moyo asked, Are these the books you are looking for? And Sakuba responded, Yes, they are. I have found God's people. And after weeks and months of instruction, Sakuba uh, returned to his own people, a changed man bringing the gospel to that remote village. Accepted uh, a part as a part of God's family, Sakuba was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He went back to his missionary, 
back, he went back as a missionary to his tribe and almost the whole tribe accepted Jesus and the Bible truths like you've been hearing in this lecture series. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, you know, there's a, a little illustration here. I thought that was the last one. This is the last one. So the, the Bible is like a, a, a uh, nautical map. The writings of Ellen White are like the harbor chart there. And so, you know, there's a, there's a little, there's a, a big ship that's coming into the harbor and uh, has the, the nautical maps there. And, but the nautical map says, when you get to the harbor, look for the little tugboat with the, uh, the harbor chart in there. And, uh, and so you, you have, uh, so, but the, the captain, what if the captain said, no, I don't, I don't need the, the harbor, uh, the, the tugboat. I don't need the, the, the harbor charts there. I have the nautical map. I don't need that. I'm just going to come right in. What would happen? He would end up. Uh, in some big trouble, go, running into the corals and, and things like that. But, uh, and so the, the Bible is like the nautical map, and the writings of Ellen White are like the little nautical, or uh, the little harbor chart, and the tugboat is like the Adventist church. You know, the, the, the Adventist church is uh, pulling this big ship that's been guided by the Bible, by the nautical maps there, and, uh, and so... You know, we want to just assure you that she is the or Bible is the greater light, and she is the lesser light, and so everything points back to the Bible. Uh, you know, everything we've presented here night after night has come straight from the Bible. Nothing has been from Ellen White. All of the doctrines have come directly from the Bible and not from Ellen White. And so, um, all that we ask is you just. Study them out for yourself. Read it from Scripture. Uh, you know, believing she is a prophet is not a test of membership. She never called herself a prophet. She, was a, she called herself a messenger of the Lord. And so uh, it's not a test of membership. What is a test of membership is believing in the gifts of the, pro of, of the church. And, uh, and that to test the spirits, the Bible says. And so we, we want to give you an opportunity to do that and a chance to do that. So... Um, it's not a, not a test of, of membership there. But, uh, but friends, when men and women around uh, are honest-hearted and humble coming to God's Word, God leads them. He, he'll lead you. The Bible says that in the last days, God will have a special people. And He promises to give His people a special gift from Jesus called the gift of prophecy. Not to take the, the place of the Bible, never does it do that. Not to, take, to have the authority of the Bible, never does it do that. And not to take, place, the, take the place of Jesus Christ, never, ever, ever. Nothing does that. But as a special gift given by God to guide and direct His people to know Jesus better, to understand the Word of God better. And so thousands of honest-hearted people are saying, Lord, thank you for leading me to understand and know God's truth because God still leads. And friends, in your heart tonight, can you say, praise God that He still leads. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your guidance. Thank you, Jesus, for leading me to your people. Thank you for guiding my life. Friends, shall we stand together as we pray? And friends, if you, if you too believe that Jesus has led you, would you just raise your hands?
Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study this subject. And uh, Lord, uh, thank you for being patient with us, for uh, teaching us and throughout this series. And I look forward to Wednesday night's topic, Bring Us Back Safely Then. Thank you for all those who uh, recognize your leading in their life. Lord, there's some here who still need to make a decision uh, that have been weighing, it's been weighing on them and their hearts. And so, Lord, just encourage them to make the, the decision that you're calling them to make. And, um, Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.